But is anybody ready for a victory? Amen. Amen. Come on. Does anyone want to see a victory? I believe that's what God wants to do. He wants to take those things that the enemy meant for evil, and he wants to turn them for our good. I want to encourage you today to have eyes of faith to see victory. Jesus wants to give us that. You know, today is a special, special day. It's the day of Pentecost. It's Pentecost Sunday, and so I want to talk about the day of Pentecost, but I don't just want to talk about the day of Pentecost. I want to talk about the night of Pentecost. And I want to talk about the night because I just get this feeling that maybe this year it feels a little different for you like it does for me. I just wonder if there's anybody here that has come to the realization that the days can be great, but night comes. Come on. You ever had an experience in your life, maybe in the last two months, three months, I'm just throwing that out there, where you thought, you know, the night came. You know, the sun was bright, the sun was shining, and I had 20-20 vision, but man, it got overcast really quick. <laughs> there, there, was a, there was a cloud that rolled in over my reality, and, and the night comes. Sometimes it feels like everything can be going up and to the right and moving for our good the way that we want it to. And to be quite honest, those are the moments when it's easy to praise God. I mean, if you can't, you know, get an amen and a shout in those moments, then, you know, something in your faith is broken. But, but the real challenge, the real challenge is when things go from good to bad. And then when things go from bad to worse, and you start going, oh, okay, okay, God, where are you in all of this? And I want to tell you where God is. God is here. God is present. He's in the midst of your circumstance. He's in the midst of what you're facing. And what the enemy meant for evil, God does want to turn for good. And the reason that I want to talk about the night of Pentecost today is because, listen, it's not because I want to depress you. <laughs> not because I just want us to all, you know, roll in our, in our sorrow and, and uh, have a pity party. It's because I want to point you in the direction of this reality that the God we serve has never had a crisis. The God we serve has never experienced a pandemic in heaven. The God that we serve today is not wringing his hands. He's not anxious for anything. I don't even think he has hand sanitizer up there. I just, <laughs> I just don't think he's ever had a concern the way that we have concerns. And so the reason that I want you to, to consider the night of Pentecost, and not just the day is because of this. When you embrace his promises in the day, you receive his provisions for the night. I'm going to say that again because I know some of you are writing it down and some of you are typing it right now. If you'll receive his promises in the day, you'll get his provisions in the night. And God wants to provide some things for us. And so before I, I talk about the night of Pentecost at all, uh, let me just give you three things about the day of Pentecost. Three things that, that you need to know. You can write these things down. Number one, it's this. Pentecost is about pursuing his presence. That's what it's about, pursuing his presence. You know, in the Old Testament, in Leviticus chapter 23 and in Exodus uh, chapter 32, God gives the Israelites instructions on a harvest, a one-day festival of harvest that they were supposed to have. And this harvest festival was supposed to happen seven weeks after the Passover. 
Seven weeks or 50 days. They were supposed to have this harvest celebration. And the word Pentecost means 50th. That's why they called it Pentecost, because it's 50 days after Passover. And now we know Jesus uh, died for us on the cross on Passover weekend. So what that tells us right now is that we are seven weeks past Easter. Can you believe that? Some of you are like, yes, I can. (laughs) You're keeping time according to quarantine. And so you're like, yes, Easter was a year and a half ago. (laughs) But Pentecost Sunday happened seven weeks after Easter. And there's some things that are pretty significant about this celebration. At Pentecost, or what was also called the Feast of Weeks, the farmers in Israel, they would pack up their uh, first harvest, the first fruits of the spring harvest. They would load up the first fruits as an offering, and they would make a journey to Jerusalem to present that offering to the Lord at the Pentecost festival. So in the old covenant, you got to understand this wasn't just uh, going to Jerusalem. Uh, They understood the holy city of Jerusalem as the place where God's presence was. So it's more than just taking a pilgrimage to a holy place. They understood that God abides there. God resides there. The reason that's important is because they, they may have planned the trip in advance, Certainly, they they loaded up the ox cart maybe the night before. Maybe they packed their bags. But the day of Pentecost was the day that they began to make an intentional journey towards the presence of God. That's why it's so powerful that we understand Pentecost is about pursuing his presence. Because on this day, they said, I'm going to meet with God. And let me just make an Old Testament application right here in 2020. I think it would be incredible if this day of Pentecost, this year, if we would make a personal decision to say, I'm going to begin a pursuit of the presence of God like never before. That we would just say, this year, today's the day. This is the weekend. I'm going to take intentional steps towards getting closer to God than I ever have before. That's what they did. Pentecost was about pursuing God's presence. Now, in the New Testament, we get a whole nother level of revelation about Pentecost. Pentecost Sunday means something a whole lot more. And, and number two, if you're taking notes, the second thing is this. Pentecost is not only about uh, pursuing his presence. It's about believing his promise. And the promise that we believe in is the promise that Jesus gave. He said, I will baptize my followers with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise that we get on Pentecost. After Jesus rose from the grave, again, Passover weekend, the Bible says he appeared for some 40 days to his disciples. In fact, the Bible says he appeared to some 500 people during that time. And then he told his disciples that he was going to send them a promise. In fact, Luke wrote about it two times. The first place was at the end of his gospel, at the gospel of Luke, chapter 24, verse 49. Here's what he said. Jesus said, I am going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. 
And then when he wrote later the book of Acts, he begins where he left off in the gospel. Luke writes these words in Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5. He said, on one occasion, while he was eating with them, he gave them this command. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. That's important. He said in verse 5, for John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Jesus said, you've heard me speak about this. You've heard me talk about this baptism. When? When did they hear him talk about it? Well, one of the places was right before he went to the cross. Right before Jesus went to the cross, he was with his disciples in the upper room, and, and John records this conversation through John chapter 14, 15, and 16. And in John 14... Verse 16 and 17, it says this, Jesus speaking to his disciples on the night of his arrest and betrayal, he said, and I will ask the father and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever. The spirit of truth. So he's called him an advocate. He's called him a helper. He's called him the spirit of truth. He says this about the Holy Spirit. He says the world cannot accept him because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you and he will be in you. Now, can I just say that is so important that we understand this is what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit. He is with you and he will be in you. The reason that's important is because I've talked to people before and it's like they're afraid of, of receiving the Holy Spirit. It's like they're afraid of pursuing the baptism in the Spirit. And, and, and I, I don't know why they're afraid. I, I think I know why. But the reality is they're afraid that, that something's going to happen. That, 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 like, they're going to be surprised that God's going to do something. Listen, when the Holy Spirit baptizes you, you know what, you, you know what you're going to recognize? This feels familiar. Because Jesus said, you will know him. I'm going to send the Spirit, and when He comes, you're going to know Him. So it's not going to feel weird. It's not going to, you're not going to be freaked out. You're not going to be going, whoa, what is this? I've never experienced this before. No, He said you're going to know the Spirit. Listen, the Holy Spirit is the Spirit of God. The Holy Spirit is the Spirit of Jesus. Paul said it like this in 1 Corinthians 3.16. He said, do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit, that He dwells in your midst? Paul said, you should know that. The Holy Spirit lives with you. So can I just say this today? On Pentecost Sunday, if you are a Christian, you already have a relationship with the Spirit of God. You already have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. And so when Jesus says, I'm going to send the comforter, the advocate, the helper, the Spirit of truth, and he's going, you're going to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. Jesus says, when he comes, you're going to know him because you already know him. So if, if you're weirded out by the idea of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit, can I just say, you're weirded out by people, okay, not the Spirit of God. And you don't have to feel bad for that. I'm weirded out by people too, and not just church people. I'm weirded out by the people in Walmart, okay? I mean, let's just be honest. Sometimes people are weird, but when the Spirit comes, Jesus said, you're going to know him. You're going to know him because he's already with you. 
Jesus said in that same night, in that same conversation in John chapter 15, verse 26, he said, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father, the spirit of truth, who goes out from the Father, here's what he's going to do. He said, he will testify about me. That's John 15, 26. Jesus said, here's what the Spirit is going to do. When the Holy Spirit comes upon you, he's going to bear witness to the relationship that you have with me. Yeah. You know, it's funny. Some people, they, they, they got such a good thing going with the Son of God. They love their Heavenly Father. Then you start talking to them about pursuing the Holy Spirit, and they feel weird, like, like they're going like, to commit spiritual adultery. Like, I, I don't want to offend the Father and the Son. You know, honestly, there are some Christians who have never spoken to the third person of the Trinity. When's the last time you prayed and said, Holy Spirit, I love you? Yeah. I know we pray to the Father. We pray in Jesus' name. But he is God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit, three in one. And Jesus is not offended when you talk to the Holy Spirit. In fact, Jesus said, when you talk to the Holy Spirit, when he fills your life, you know what he's going to say? He's going to testify about your relationship with me. So when you get filled with the Holy Spirit, you feel, more, you feel more grounded, more confident, more solidified in your relationship with Jesus than you did before you received the baptism in the Holy Spirit. That's why Jesus said, you, you need this. And in Acts chapter 2, that promise was fulfilled for the first time. And, and, and we've got to read it today. On Pentecost Sunday, Acts chapter 2, beginning in verse 1. It says, when the day of Pentecost came, this is 50 days after Jesus' death and resurrection, they were all together in one place. Verse 2 says, suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came to rest on each one of them. Verse 4 says, all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit, and they began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. Hear me today. The Holy Spirit wants us to understand something, that Pentecost, first of all, it's about believing. It's about believing in His promise. It's great to, to pursue the Lord, and, and that's why you're tuned in. That's why we're here. We're pursuing his presence, but we have to believe that his promises are for us. Otherwise, you can go through a whole worship experience like this, and you, you can give God your, your worship. You can sing the songs. You can follow along, but you can, you can disqualify yourself from a blessing. You have to believe the promise is for me. Amen. The promise is for me. Now, I'm thankful for the day of Pentecost. I thank God for what he did on that day. But I'm also thankful for the night of Pentecost. And when I say the night of Pentecost, one of the things I mean by that is I'm talking about the things that happened on the night that I just read about. Acts chapter 2, when the day of Pentecost fully came. There are some things that happened that night that are pretty significant, and, and I'm going to get to those. But when I say the night of Pentecost, I also mean the next season. I mean, we can have moments of, of glory. We can have moments where we just sense the goodness of God and the favor of God, and, and, and we might describe that as a Pentecostal experience. And that can be great, and, and praise God for those moments, but we've all experienced seasons where it didn't feel so good. 
following Jesus. We've all experienced those moments where we struggled to trust the Lord. We struggled to see what the hand of the Lord was doing. We had our day in the sun, but then the shadows came and they overcast our lives. And I thank God for the night. See, the reality is this. Jesus did promise that he would pour out his spirit, but that's not all he promised. Sometimes I wish it was. But Jesus also promised this. He said, in this world, you will have trouble. Take it to the bank. Straight out of the mouth of our Savior, you will have trouble. Now, don't you feel more spiritual? You're one of the club now, right? Like you just, you were, you were feeling guilty, like I must be doing this Christian thing wrong. I got too many problems. Nope. Nope. You fit right in. Jesus said you will have trouble. Trouble, and that's why I want to talk about the night of Pentecost a little bit. You know, in the early days of Jesus' ministry, I mean, this was at the time when, I mean, to be picked to follow Jesus, you were the envy of the day. I mean, to, to be honored, to be one of the, the few men or women that got to be in his inner circle. Jesus had just started preaching. He had just started doing miracles. This is the height of popularity. Crowds are, are flocking to meet him. And it was then, this is in Matthew chapter 10, in this context where the disciples, I mean, they're proud as peacocks. They're just, well, I'm with, I'm with Jesus. You know I'm a follower of Jesus. Yeah, Peter, that's right. Spell, spell it right. You know, these guys are so excited to be a part of the fellowship of Jesus. And it's in that context when everything's just getting momentum going in his ministry that Jesus tells them about the promise of the Holy Spirit. But in the same conversation, he tells them about persecution. Now, up to this point, they're not expecting things to go bad. I mean, Jesus is building a kingdom. He's going to come. He's going to rule. He's going to reign. This is the promised Messiah we've been waiting for. We're excited about this. And all of a sudden, in Matthew chapter 10, Jesus looks at his disciples, and he says these words, beginning in verse 17. Jesus says, be on your guard. You will be handed over to the local councils and be flogged in the synagogue. Say what? He said, you're going, wait a minute, wait a minute. We're going to be what? He said, you're going to be flogged in the synagogue. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as witnesses to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what you're going to say or how to say it. At that time, Jesus says, you will be given what to say. For it will not be you speaking, but the spirit of your father speaking through you. Can, can I just say, maybe you've found this to be true already, but only Jesus knows what tomorrow holds. I mean, I don't know if anybody besides me has exhausted themselves this year trying to figure out what tomorrow's, trying to make plans only to have those plans canceled, trying to take two steps forward only to realize you got to pivot and go a different direction that, that what you thought you were going to do, you can't do. Things have been canceled. Things have been delayed. And, and the reality is simply this. Jesus is the only one that knows what tomorrow holds. And so why wouldn't Jesus be the one to know exactly what we need? Yeah. And so in the, in the midst of, of, of the, the high peaks of ministry, Jesus says, 
You need to know, guys, it's not always going to be sunshine and roses. You need to know, guys, there's going to be a time where people are going to turn their back on you. There's going to be some moments that you're going to struggle. In fact, you're going to be, you're going to be dragged before the high courts. You're going to have to give an answer. You're going to be beaten. You're going to experience real pain. This is not hyperbole. We mean a cat of nine tails is going to be ripped across your back, and your flesh is going to be separated. You can experience pain. And in that moment, in your agony and in your distress, you're going to be told to give an account. But you need to know that with the persecution, there's a promise. I don't want you to worry about what you're going to say in that moment. Why? Because the spirit of the Father, my spirit, is going to speak through you. And how amazing would it be to to, to be able to walk with Jesus. I don't know if you've ever read, read the scriptures and just envied the disciples a little bit, you know. And yet Jesus said to his disciples in that same conversation at the Passover meal before he was arrested, he said, it's good that I go away. This is Jesus. He said, it's good that I go away. In fact, he said this. He said, unless I go away, the advocate will not come to you. But if I go away, I will send him. Jesus didn't say, guys, I'm going away, and it's going to be okay. He didn't say, I'm going away, and guys, you're going to make it. You're going to survive. Just hang in there. No, no, no. Jesus said, it's good that I go away. In fact, another place, same conversation, Jesus said, these works that I've been doing, greater works than these will you do because I'm going to the Father. So again, only Jesus knows what your tomorrow holds, so only Jesus knows what you need for tomorrow. And we don't see it the way he sees it, but Jesus, because he has an eternal perspective, because he has his eye on the bigger picture of the kingdom of God, he says, I'm going to leave. And it's good that I'm leaving because when I go, I'm sending the Holy Spirit. And he's going to give you the words to say in the moment you need them. And you're going to do greater works. Think about this, greater works. You have more potential right now as a child of God to do greater works for the kingdom of God than what the apostles had before the day of Pentecost. And they walked with Jesus. But we have more potential now because Jesus went to the Father and because he sent his spirit. Now, that's a promise you can believe in. That's a promise that ought to excite us to say, God, I'm going to pursue your presence, but I'm going to, I'm going to believe your promise. This is for me. You know, at the beginning of 2020, uh, God spoke a word to me for our church and uh, I, don't, I didn't realize until now it really had a prophetic edge to it. Uh, in fact, the first three Sundays of 2020, we began the first three Sundays of this year as a church focusing on the night of Pentecost. Now, I didn't use that phrase, the night of Pentecost, but we talked about what happened on the night of Pentecost. And, and that sermon series was birthed out of a verse in Acts chapter 2, the day of Pentecost, verse 42 begins with these words. It says, they devoted themselves. You remember that? 
They devoted themselves. And so for the first three weeks of this year, we began by talking about how the the New Testament church, yes, they experienced the fire of God. Yes, they experienced the outpouring of the Holy Spirit. But at the end of that chapter, that night, the Bible describes the church with these words. They devoted themselves. They devoted themselves to prayer. They devoted uh, devoted themselves to the word of God. And they devoted themselves to fellowship. In fact, we we even had these journals, these leather-bound journals designed and made them available for everybody in our church back in January. It says right on there, they devoted themselves, Acts 2.42. And, And we gave these to people so that they could personally, not just sit in church and get a message, but so that you could open up the word, so that you could take a a written journal into your prayer closet and you could have God speak to you and you could receive a word from the Lord. Never in a million years would I have imagined when I preached that sermon series that in just a few weeks, we'd be closing the doors to the church. Never did I imagine that we would keep the doors closed for months that we would celebrate Easter at home, that we would celebrate Mother's Day at home, Memorial Day at home, and now Pentecost Sunday still at home. Never would I have imagined that God was trying to communicate to us what it looks like to obey him on the night of Pentecost because he wanted to teach us as a church that we have to devote ourselves. You got to devote yourself. And this, this message is more real now than it's ever been in our lifetime. Can I just say it plainly? No one can serve God for you. No one can do it for you. That's what it means to devote yourself. No one can serve the Lord on your behalf. That's why it's so important that we embrace the promises of the day so that we can receive the provisions for the night. Because the night comes. Because the isolation comes. Sometimes the persecution comes. Pentecost is about pursuing God's presence. And it's about believing in his promises. And thirdly and finally, Pentecost is about receiving his power. It's about receiving his power. You know, the reality is the world wasn't changed in the first century because 120 people got together in an upper room and had amazing experience with God. Like, praise God for those moments. I mean, I I love having good church services as much as the next person. I, I love having encounters with God and with God's people. But the world wasn't changed because they had that experience in the upper room. The world was changed because they left the upper room And they devoted themselves to following God wholeheartedly. Maybe maybe you're watching this service and and you feel like, I've struggled to do that. That's that's the problem. (laughs) Like serving serving Jesus in, in a church service is easy. Serving Jesus on my own is hard. Or maybe, maybe you've even realized that, you know, that this quarantine has revealed you don't, you're not as faithful to Jesus as you thought you were. 
Like maybe you thought you were devoted to God, but there was an accountability with showing up and being at church every weekend, or maybe even serving on a ministry team or, or getting involved and knowing other people know where you're going. But now, now that nobody's going anywhere and, and you can turn us on or turn us off, maybe you've kind of come to the reality in this season that I'm not as devoted as I thought I was. Well, here's the good news. Here's the good news about the Holy Spirit. He makes us capable. Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Again, Jesus has just told them, go to Jerusalem, wait for the promise of the Father. Then he says these words to them in verse 8. He says, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That word power is a Greek word that really can be translated as capability. So this is what Jesus is promising us. For those of us that feel like, you know what, I can't be devoted to God. I can't. I've tried. I've failed. I take two steps forward, and then I fall back into the same patterns. Jesus promised this. He said, I'm going to send my spirit, and you will receive capability. To devote yourself. I love the way the Apostle Paul talked about it in Philippians chapter 2, verse 13. Paul said this. He said, for it is God who works in you to will and to act in order to fulfill his good purpose. I'll tell you why I love that verse. Because he didn't just say that it's God who works in you to act according to the will of God. He said, it's God who works in you to, to act according to God's word, and it's God who works in you to will or to want to act according to God's word. In other words, if you don't even feel like you have the, the, the drive or the tenacity or the desire on the inside of you to go after the things of God the way you should, that's why you need the Holy Spirit. The power of God gives you the will. He doesn't just adjust our actions. He adjusts our attitude. He doesn't just adjust our, our movements. He adjusts our motives. He said the Spirit of God is going to work in you to want to do, to will to do, and to act according to God's purpose in your life. If our faith is going to thrive, if we're going to impact our generation the way that God has called the church to impact our generation, listen, we need a day of Pentecost. If your faith is ever going to survive the night, you need a day of Pentecost experience in your life. And it begins with pursuing his presence. So listen, I, I just want to make an invitation. Maybe, maybe you're trekking with me and you're listening to this sermon, but if you're honest with yourself today and, and you can just turn your thoughts towards your own heart, if you've never made a decision to pursue God with all of your heart. That is the starting place. There's only one requirement, one prerequisite for a person receiving the power of the Holy Spirit in their life, and it's this, a relationship with Jesus Christ. You must be saved. And that's why it begins with a pursuit of his presence. So listen, if you're tuned into this service here in the room, or online, and you don't have a relationship with Jesus, I want to invite you to make a decision right now to surrender your life to him, 
Say, so what, what does that look like? Well, it begins with confession. Because the Bible says that all of us have sinned and we fall short of the glory of God in Romans chapter 3. It says we've all fallen short of God's glory. So when we come to God, the first thing we have to do is confess that. We have to acknowledge that I, on my own, I'm not good enough. The Bible says that the wages of our sin, which we've all committed, is death. But the gift of God is eternal life Amen. through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So when we come to Jesus, when we pursue his presence, we're saying, Jesus, I realize that I can't have eternal life based on my goodness. I can't have eternal life based on anything I've done or anything I've said. My sin, according to the word of God, deserves the penalty of death, just like everybody else's sin. But I put my faith in this reality. Jesus, the Bible says so beautifully, he who knew no sin, that's Jesus, became sin on the cross so that you and I might become the righteousness of God. That's the deal. Come on, that's a good trade. Your sin for his perfection. Your shame for his reward. And if you don't have a relationship with Jesus Christ today, I want to challenge you, like those Old Testament farmers who recognize God's been good to me. God's blessed me. God has been faithful in my life. You start loading up your wagon. You start packing your bags. And let the day of Pentecost be the day that you begin to intentionally move in the direction of a relationship with God. I want to lead you in a prayer right now. If that's you and you say, I need to have a relationship with Jesus, just pray this prayer after me. Come on, everybody in the room, just pray it with us. Say, dear God, I move towards you. I move away from my sin. Forgive me. Help me to escape the trap of my old life of my old thinking, set me free in Jesus' name. I give you my life. Amen. Amen. Can I tell you something incredible about God's goodness? The moment you come into a relationship with God, every promise that is available for any Christian is available for you. This is not a tiered program. There, there's no upper, upper echelon Christian. There's no A team and B team. No varsity and JV in the kingdom of God. The moment you say yes to Jesus, all of his benefits, all of his blessings, all of his provisions are yours in Christ Jesus. And so if you've pursued his presence and the only way you can have his presence is through his son, Jesus. And you say, I've done that. I have a relationship with Jesus Christ. Then I want to challenge you to believe that his promises are for you. Not, not for some other version of Christian. Not for some other, other person who's doing this better. They're for you. Believe his promises. When, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost, they spilled out of the upper room. And there were thousands of people that were gathered. At the end of his sermon, just like I'm coming to the end of mine, Peter said these words. 
This is an inclusive statement today. In Acts chapter 2, verse 39, he said, the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call. That includes you. His promise is for all of us. So believe that today. And I want to encourage you to receive his power. Receive God's power on this day of Pentecost because the night is coming. And maybe you're already living in the night right now and you say, I need it. I need, I need God's power in my life. How do I get it? Well, I, I want to tell you how, how you can receive the power of the Holy Spirit. We're about to go back into one more song. We're going to sing a song of worship about the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And, and while we sing this song, I want to invite you to receive on this Pentecost Sunday the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Here's what you have to do. Step one, open your mouth. It amazes me how Often people want God to fill them with the Holy Spirit, the way that he filled the church in the, whole, in the, in the New Testament, but they just stand lip-locked, like, okay, I'm ready, God. <laughs> Open your mouth. As we begin to sing this song of worship, begin to worship God. Open your mouth and give God praise. You know what the, you know what the report of the onlookers were on the day of Pentecost? Here's what they said. It said, we hear them declaring the wonders of God in our own tongue. In other words, the focus of Pentecost is praise. It's not about what it looks like or what somebody sounds like. It's about exalting Jesus. Why? Jesus said, when the Holy Spirit comes, he's going to testify about me. Everything the Holy Spirit is doing in your life and in my life is exalting Jesus. He's pulling us up to our potential so that we can exalt Jesus with the way we live our lives. And so you got to start by just praising God. Focus on who he is. Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. That's the promise. So what that means is, secondly, you don't have to beg. You don't have to plead. You don't, oh God, please, please give it to me. Please give it. No, you don't have to do that. Why? Because it's a gift. And how do you receive a gift? You receive a gift. You don't beg for it. You don't snatch it. Know this. Jesus wants to fill you with the Holy Spirit. So we're going to sing a song of worship. We're going to open our mouths. We're going to give God praise. And because we know he's good and he's for us and he wants to fill us with his spirit, we're just going to begin to say, Jesus, I receive. I receive your Holy Spirit right now. I receive a fresh baptism. Lord, give me everything I need today so that I can endure and even thrive in the night. God, I receive. Now, here's a big question a lot of people ask. How do I know if I received the Holy Spirit? I mean, how do I know if this thing worked? Well, the Bible's very clear. The pattern in Scripture is that there is an initial physical evidence of receiving the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Over and over and over again, we see the pattern in the New Testament that those who received the baptism in the Holy Spirit, they spoke in new tongues 
and they prophesied. And God gives us the opportunity. In fact, in Acts chapter 2, again, Peter, he's preaching on the day of Pentecost. And he says these words to the crowd in verse 33. He told the crowd, Jesus received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit and has poured out what you now see and hear. In other words, what he was saying is that what you see and what you hear is evidence of what they've experienced. There is a physical evidence to the baptism in the Holy Spirit. So you never have to wonder, did, did, did I receive the Holy Spirit? Did I not receive the Holy Spirit? Listen, the Holy Spirit is not going to do for you what he wants to enable you to do. That's why you can't just sit lip-locked and wait for God to do something. In fact, that verse we read earlier out of Acts 2, 4 says, and suddenly all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and they began to speak with new tongues as the Spirit enabled them. That word enabled in the original Greek, it just means prompted the words. That's what the Holy Spirit's gonna do. As we worship, as we sing unto the Lord, as we open our mouth, the Holy Spirit's gonna begin to prompt words on the inside of you. He's gonna give you what the Bible calls the gift of tongues. He's gonna, it may come like a flood. It may be a whole lot of words. It may just be a couple syllables, but you have a decision to make in that moment. And the decision is, am I going to believe that this promise is for me? And am I going to receive this gift, this power in my life? So here's what I wanna encourage you to do as we pray. I want you to open your mouth and give God praise. I want you to tell him, Lord, I'm ready to receive. I'm ready to receive from your Holy Spirit. And then I want you to listen. That's so important. You know, too many times we do all the talking. Prayer, prayer is not a grocery list. Prayer is a conversation. It's communion with the Father. Don't miss this step. Take these next few moments to listen. And you're going to sense the Holy Spirit. And you'll know it's Him because Jesus said, the Spirit's already in you. You're a Christian. The Spirit of God is already in you. So when the Spirit is poured out, you're going to know, oh, that's definitely God. Yeah, that, that's God. I felt God before. Yeah. That's God. Yeah. And listen and let him speak to you. And as he gives you the words, you begin to let go of your own intellect and your own knowledge and your own understanding and your native tongue. And you begin to just say what the Spirit of God is saying. Do you remember what Jesus told him in Matthew 10? He said, trouble's coming, the night is coming, and, and you're gonna be drugged before people and you're gonna have to say things, but I don't want you to worry about what to say. Why? Because the Spirit of God is gonna speak through you. How do we learn to let the Spirit of God guide our tongue? In, in prayer. This is the gift of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. It's a moment where we can begin to surrender fully to the leading of the Holy Spirit. And if you'll receive the promise for the day, you'll find that he's given you the provision for the night. So right now, wherever you're at, can we just lift our hands towards the Lord? We're gonna sing this song of worship. And as we do, I wanna encourage you to open your mouth, and begin to, Seek the Lord for a few moments. When you sense his spirit, just begin to lift up the words that the spirit of God is speaking to you right now, right now. Let's just receive. This promise is for you. This power is for you. Receive it today in Jesus' name.